When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm pleased to be joined by FAMU head coach, Willie Simmons. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing well, RJ. Good to see you. You too, sir. I want to start with this. Uh, grew up around Panama City, Florida. My people, my daddy, he's from Campbellton, Florida, so I know about Quincy. And a little, a little bit about Shotgun Simmons because you played high school ball when I was just a kid. Do you ever have to remind your players that I was awesome in what I call lower Georgia, lower Alabama, but you know, the panhandle and whatnot. And I was awesome at Clemson. Do you ever have to have that conversation? No, I I, I don't. Uh, I think enough people remind them of that. You know, uh, whenever we have speakers come in, they remind them. Um, every now and then you'll catch guys uh, coming through YouTube, finding some some of our old uh, Clemson film. And uh, so in, in every blue moon, I don't do it much anymore because, you know, this old, this old shoulder of mine will go out. But I'll pick up the football and toss it around every now and then just to let them just let them know what it was back in the day. But but no, they're um they're fun to be around and and, and they they make fun of us. But we do remind them that we as coaches did play the game at a high level. Most of our coaches uh, either played power five ball, NFL ball, or played at a high level at our respective institutions. So you know every now and then we have to remind eighteen and twenty three year olds that uh the things that they're trying we we've all done them. I found it interesting that you you come up just outside of Tallahassee, probably introduce yourself as being from Tallahassee most of the time to folks that don't know. You end up at Clemson, you transfer to Citadel, but there was a moment in there where you were thinking about coming home. Do you get to talk about that much? Yeah, back in 2003, um, after I graduated Clemson, had one year left of eligibility, uh, my mom was battling some health issues. Uh, she was diagnosed with renal failure my senior year. And uh, she didn't get to get a chance to see me play very much. And so I uh, wanted to come closer to home. I grew up 20 minutes away from here. I do say Quincy, by the way. I uh, don't say Tallahassee. We oh, give people a hard time from Quincy. They say Tallahassee. So let it be known. I'm from Quincy, Florida, not Tallahassee, Florida. But uh, but no, I just wanted to get closer. And FAMU was always a school that coming up, um, myself, all of our uh, buddies that we played with, it was always kind of an unspoken rule. You know, a lot of us were Power 5 signees, FBS signees. But if we ever decided to transfer, uh, we were coming home to FAMU and so made the decision to come. Uh, one of my uh, best friends in the world, uh, we both transferred from Clemson here. And uh, it just so happened to be the year that they were going through transition to become an FBS program. And because of their provisional status, uh, we were all deemed ineligible to play right away. So uh, it was really a, a hurtful moment for me uh, just because I, I always wanted to play in the orange and green. And, um, you know, it was rough for a lot of people. Uh, we even talk about it to this day, but, you know, things have a way of coming around full circle. And uh, even though I didn't get a chance to play here at FAMU in the Orange and Green, um, I'm beyond blessed to be able to be the head coach of such an amazing program. I'm going to go ahead and let folks know that Coach Simmons graduated in three years from Clemson, which is still remarkable having played quarterback at such a high level, then the Citadel, and then get into coaching. Now, a lot of folks say they want to get into coaching when they are players. When did you know, okay, I can do this and I want to do this? Uh, it's funny you say that. I was one of those guys who who didn't want anything to do with coaching. Uh, I never thought about it. You know, playing the game uh, in college, it never dawned on me that I would be coaching coach the game of football. Uh, funny story, um, the guy that recruited me, Rick Stockstill, who ultimately gave me my first head job as a coach, uh, was our receivers coach there at Clemson. And he would always tell me, he said, Willie, you're a smart guy. 
if you can do anything else, do it. Like, don't get into coaching. You know, you can do anything else with your life. And uh, as fate would have it, he gave me my first <laughs> full-time job. So uh, he probably saw it in me, but just wanted me to find it on my own. And I think that's what, uh, for most people, that's what we have to do. You know, coaching is something that a lot of us say we want to do because it allows us to stay around the game, you know, but but you really have to have a passion for it. Uh, you really, it really has to be your calling. And I'm blessed that I found it um, just in transition after I got done playing the game, was coming back from Sioux City, Iowa, playing arena football. And it just so happened that a good buddy of mine called and they had a quarterback job open at Lincoln High School and um, in, the, in the first part of August. And I was kind of in transition, not knowing what I was going to do with my life. Um, and I took the opportunity to coach just to kind of buy time. And it didn't take me very long once I hit the field to know that this was my passion. This was my calling. Uh, and 17 years later, you know, I'm still doing it. So thankful to my buddy, yourself for, for, you know, thinking enough of me to just make that random phone call. And uh, it really blazed a, a trail in the path of my life uh, where I couldn't see myself doing anything else. You move up the ranks, right? You get jobs at what I thought were outstanding places to start with. I'll take Minnesota City for a second there. But also you come back into my life when you become the offensive coordinator at Alcorn. And short story there, my parents drove up to see Steve McNair and then came back the day he got drafted. Man's wearing a white suit in May in Mississippi. He is pouring sweat. But my mother walks up in there with a number nine Oilers jersey, gets him to sign it. That is how in-depth I go with Alcorn State. And then y'all start putting up numbers. And then I see you are starting to get a little bit more recognition. When did it become real for you that you might have an opportunity to be a head coach at a place like PV? Well, you know, I, once I got into coaching, <clears throat> I always wanted to be a head coach. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, everything I do, I, I do it with the mindset that, that I want to be the very best at. It. And so uh, it's always been at the back of my mind. It's never something that I – chase so to speak i just wanted to make sure i did a great job where i was uh, whatever that role was as a grad assistant as a, as a position coach as a coordinator uh but about around the second season at Alcorn, uh once we really started putting up numbers i uh, had already kind of built up a reputation as an offensive got minded guy during my time at middle tennessee state um i started to see some lists you know some black college lists of coordinators who were probably uh, on the list to be potential head coaches and that was the first time it kind of became a reality where I said, you know what, this may happen you know, one day soon. Uh, I had no idea that that third season, um, you know, it would happen you know, after, the, after that championship year at Alcorn State. But midway through the season, um, the list came out again, and I was at the top of the list of, of, of HBCU coordinators who are in line to be the next head coaches. And I knew that FAMU was having an opening come up. I knew um, Preview was going to have an opening. Um, I think Alabama State was going to have an opening. So there were a few jobs that I kind of had my eye on. I didn't have an agent at the time. Um, but thankfully, uh, Ashley Robinson, the athletic director at Prairie View A&M at the time, saw enough in me. Uh, it didn't hurt that we put up 77 points on them that day. And, um, you know, so he saw me as a guy that could uh, spark their their team, their offense, their Prairie View A&M. And uh, he offered me the opportunity and, and I jumped at it. And, uh, you know, we had some success there. So I, I'm I'm always indebted to Ashley. You know, it takes a lot for someone to give an individual their first opportunity to, to lead. You know, I had never been a head coach, and uh, he took a chance on a 34-year-old coach, you know, there at, at Alcorn State. And, uh, you know, thank God we, we've been we've been rolling ever since. It's not an easy place to win, by the way, PV. I mean, it's been a long time since Coach Nix was through there, and then they had, as many people know, one of the longest losing streaks in any major sport. You come there, you're able to flip the program around, and then this job at FAMU comes open again. When did you like, okay, I'm going to go home now. I, it, I've done this once. I did this a second time. I can't miss it a third time. 
Well, it's funny you ask, you know, uh, and my wife doesn't like me telling people this, um, but she she's kind of, I don't want to call it a prophet, uh, but she has these dreams and she'll just say, hey, I, I, I dreamt these colors, you know, and it, it's, it's crazy because when I got, when I was at Alcorn State, when we got married, uh, she said, babe, I just dreamt gold, purple and gold. And so we, we're online, we're Googling all the schools that have purple and gold, University of Washington and all these other places, and of course, Preview and was purple and gold. And so I get that job. And then the third year, she tells me, middle of the season, she said, you're not going to believe this. I just had a dream about orange. And so the first thing we both thought immediately was no way, because she's a she's a graduate. You know, she's mm-hmm. an alum of Florida A&M, a two-time graduate, you know, and is currently uh, getting a doctoral uh, degree from here. So um, when she said orange, you know, of course, I pl- Clemson's orange. We played there. Uh, you have some other schools with orange in it, but we was like, there's no way that 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 this family thing is going to happen because it's always been a dream job. You know, I think every coach has that quote unquote dream job that if they could just pick a hand pick a job they would take, um, it would be one of them. And this has always been one of those jobs for me because I grew up here, because my entire family went to school here and my godbrother played here for Coach Riley. And so when the call came, it was a no brainer. I didn't care about the facilities not being great. I didn't care about the losing streak they had been on. I didn't care that we had a Taj Mahal there preview and them that I was leaving. Uh, Houston's my favorite city in the world, <laughs> you know, having to leave Houston. None of that mattered. You know, when, when Mother Fam, you came calling, uh, I came running. And just fortunate to be here, extremely blessed. And uh, thankful to Dr. John Eason, you know, the interim AD at the time, uh, to see the vision and to, to feel confident bring me back home. And since then, we've had a little bit of success. I'm having a lot of fun talking about HBCU football here the last couple of years. And I credit fam, you were joining the SWAC for a lot of that, because for me, that's a very big deal, right? I grew up going to a bunch of SWAC games and going, what are they doing over there in the MEAC? Like that's, that's a SWAC school. And now that it is a SWAC school, you're, you're there with some names, right? At the top of the list for me is Deion Sanders, coach prime. As many people know, you got Hugh Jackson at Grambling, but it is the first time in a very long time for which I get to talk about some folks like yourself being outstanding in a way that W.C. Gordon was outstanding, in a way that Coach Hubbard was outstanding. We'll talk about him in a bit. You know, Coach Nix, I'll go all the way back. Do you feel that you are at the forefront of a resurgence and people figuring out it wasn't just that HBCU football was great, it's that we were the best there was and there was nothing else to say about it for about 30 years in there. Feel like we're getting back to that sort of territory. Well, I think uh, all of us as head coaches feel that responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, most of us have an HBCU background in some capacity, even if we played at a PWI. And so the history, the traditions that these HBCUs share, uh, we're all a part of that. And so to to know what, you know, Jake Gaither meant to the, the college football landscape back during his day, Eddie Robinson, W.C. Gordon, uh, A.W. Mumford, Marino Cassum, you know, all those guys that, that, that are, are just – big larger than life figures you know we all have responsibility now as leaders of these same programs to to work to have that same impact you know and they did it under some some under more stress and duress than than many of us have you know they grew up in the racial times of the most tense racial times of our of our era and, and you know think about jake gaither not being able to stay in certain hotels you know having to eat at places outside because restaurants wouldn't feed his team and, and still having to go and win ball games. And so again, just to think about what those coaches had to overcome and endure, uh, there is a responsibility on us to represent these institutions in a first class manner. So I'm thankful to Coach Prime. I'm thankful to Hugh Jackson, Ed, uh, Eddie, uh, Eddie George, you know, and all the other coaches, you know, uh, Eric Dooley, still Fred McNair, you know, Terry Sims, um, you name it. You know, I'm thankful to all those guys because <clears throat> collectively, 
you know, we're putting HBCUs back on a on a platform where we rightfully deserve to be. And so we do feel that responsibility. We we do carry that heavy burden, and we want to make sure that we do right by these programs so that students in the far-reaching parts of the United States can say, hey, maybe I will consider <clears throat> Florida A&M to go to school, you know, and I'm from the state of Washington or, or from the Northeast or Midwest. And, and the more we do that, the more we'll continue to build and grow our, not only athletic programs, but our institutions as well. I got to throw a reference there to, to Big John Merritt and Eldridge Dickey back in the day. I tell a bunch of the kiddos about these folks and what they represent. But it also gives me a way to say, hey, you got a big job coming up here this week with UNC. You're going to go against a guy that's won a national championship at Texas in a, well, in a very loud banner and what I think is one of the greatest college football players of all time is his quarterback and Vince Young. But they're coming off of a year in which they did not meet their expectations. And they're also going to be fetting HBCUs, right? This is their HBCU game. They're going to bring Coach Hubbard up, College Football Hall of Fame inductee, led FAMU to a national championship in 1978, among other things. How are you all really trying to enjoy that atmosphere? But also, hey, man, uh, we got a segment over here called Put the Money in the Bag, which is to say go get the money and go get the win. How do you keep that focus, Coach? Well, for us, the focus is always <clears throat> what happens uh, between the white lines. Um, again, I, I, I tip my hat to the University of North Carolina and their vision for celebrating HBCUs, for honoring legendary coaches such as Rudy Hubbard, um, Rod Broadway, and um, and um, Coach Coach Hayes, you know, their A&T. Um, but again, a lot of that is for the 60-plus thousand that will be in attendance. You know, the, the 76 guys that will travel and however many guys that they dress, my job is to go out there and play great football. And that's what our focus is and always will be. Uh, we're thankful for the opportunity to, to represent HBCUs in this game against against the Tar Heels. Um, but we're not going in there again just to collect the check. We're going in there to play a great brand of football, to show everyone what we are made of here at Florida a &M. We have phenomenal coaches. We have phenomenal players and phenomenal coaches, just coaching support staff, and a phenomenal university, right, and, and a loyal fan base. And so we want to put all those things on display. And we just happen to be the only LeBron James school in America. So that's always a little nugget that we throw out there as well. But um, but we're excited about the opportunity. And I'm excited about the chance to go up against a legendary coach such as Matt Brown because I have a ton of respect for him. And I look forward to the pregame conversation that we have at the 50-yard line. Coach, for me, I look at this and I say you got two road games to start the season. I put it this way because you go into UNC, but you also got to go down south Miami, take on Jackson State in the Orange Blossom Classic. Now, I'm going to give you some credit in this and going, hey, most coaches would tell me you make a big leap from week one to week two. It might be the biggest leap you make all year. And the Orange Blossom Classic is back to being the Orange Blossom Classic. What I mean by that is I expect one of y'all to win a national championship. Like that's that's what it is. We talk about black college football national championships. Y'all are playing that game week two. How do you as a head coach know that's coming? Keep your guys focused, but also understand the challenge. I mean, Isaiah Lane is going to need a little bit more help right? Because they Shiloh Sanders is over there, right? Shadour Sanders is over there. Coach Prime is coming correct. He always does. I'm excited for this, but for you, do you feel any nervousness because you know how big this game is for your season? Well, no, nah, we, we try not to, to one, look ahead. Um, we have a saying here that we're going to be where our feet are. And for us, it's not even necessarily about North Carolina. That's the opponent this week. Um, but for us, it's about what do we do today to prepare ourselves to be our very best when it's time to perform. And so that's the, our preparation, uh, our weight training, our treatment, you know, our meetings, and then ultimately how we practice and prepare. And so if we can focus on that for the next five days, 
I think we give ourselves a great chance to go into Chapel Hill and do something great. And then we have that same mindset the following week, a great week of preparation, focusing on the little things, the details, all of the minute things that make the difference in, in playing great football. Then when it's time to show up on Sunday, September 4th, down at Hard Rock Stadium against Jackson State, we'll be ready to play. And so, again, if you focus on what's important, on what we can control, <clears throat> I, think it, I think it makes it a lot easier to go out relaxed and confident on game day as opposed to for a whole two weeks, your mind is on Orange Blossom Classic, Orange Blossom Classic, Deion Sanders, Jackson State, Conference Championship, National Championship. You, you tend to lose focus when, when, you're, when you're, your vision gets that wide. We want to keep a laser focus on what we can control. And for us, that's how we prepare today and how close we are, how much we pay attention to detail. And, uh, and, and if we do that, I think we'll be just fine. Do you know who's going to be your starting quarterback against UNC? Right now, we have an idea. Um, you know, we're, we're one of the guys is kind of battling some injuries right now. So we'll see. We'll assess him today. So I don't want to be premature and make a decision today. And he comes out 100 percent and then we flip it tomorrow. And so we'll assess him today, uh, see how he practices. Uh, and then tomorrow we'll make a we'll make a decision about who who's going to take the first snap against uh, against Chapel Hill. But I do think it's important for people to understand and realize that whoever takes the first snap is not guaranteed to take the second. Right. I I, I firmly uh, expect both those guys to play uh, this coming Saturday. And they're talking about Rashawn McKay and Jeremy Musa. They both have had phenomenal training camps. Uh, they've both done a great job leading this team, um, being students of the game, working on their craft. And, and I think we can win with both guys. And so uh, I look forward to seeing them both play uh, against, against North Carolina and hopefully by at some point in that game or, or afterwards, we'll be able to say, okay, this is the guy that we're going to roll with. But I've been in two quarterback systems before. Uh, it's worked for some people, and if we have to do that to win the game, then that's what we'll do. I wonder if any of those quarterbacks have made some sort of kinship connection with Xavier Smith. And more to that, have you come up with a replacement for the revelation that Bishop Bonham was last year? Well, I, I think any smart quarterback uh, hangs out with the receiving core and, uh, and the offensive line, right? So right. I think both guys spend a lot of time with Xavier. Um, but, but again, you'll see them out the practice throwing routes. Uh, you'll see them in the meeting rooms together watching film. And, and again, talking about Rashawn and Jeremy, they both do a great job of being students of the game, of being hard workers, and just understanding what it takes to be natural born leaders at the quarterback position. And so I'm excited about the, the rapport that those guys will have with each other. Looking forward to seeing them connect uh, on a lot of explosive plays this year in the passing game. But as far as the running game goes, uh, losing Bishop is, is, is a big loss. Um, we lose that home run threat. You know, we averaged almost seven yards to carry last season. So um, to replace him, we have we have some bigger backs. Um, Terrell Jennings, a 230-pound back. Uh, Jalen McLeod is 245. Uh, I think he's listed at 230, but he's actually 245. Uh, and then and A.J. Davis, a transfer from Pittsburgh, is 220. And so we have three big physical downhill backs, um, but all with great balance, with really good feet and can catch the ball out of the backfield and be dynamic. And so we may not have that lightning in the bottle, so to speak, that we had last year, um, but I do think we'll have a physical ground game that will really, really complement our vertical passing game and horizontal passing game and, and make defenses play us honest. What do you think is going to be the most important part of your defense going into 2022? Because it, it feels like you're able to keep a lid on it and you're able to stop people on third down. That's what everybody wants to do, but you're going to face an offense with Phil Longo as offense coordinator at UNC, that's going to go fast. They're going to try to tire you out. How do you prepare for that sort of tempo? Yeah, I think the key is, one, great communication, mm -hmm. right? You have to be able to see the signal. You have to know what personnel groupings are on the field. Uh, the omen is on the defensive coaching staff to, to know when they want to tempo. 
and have a plan for our substitutions, right? You know, obviously you don't want Isaiah Land playing 15 snaps in a row. And so if he's going to substitute along with the other defensive linemen, what's our plan? Uh, are we not substituting when they're trying to go fast? Because that's what you can find yourself at a disadvantage. And so, again, it's about great communication from the press box. Uh, all 12 eyes are on deck as far as the coaches and grad assistants to see personnel, to, to, to get a beat on when they're trying to go fast and really just communicate out, you know, on, the, on the defensive side of the ball. You know, uh, when our defense is really based on being fundamentally sound. You know, we're not that team that just blitzes every play and just runs through gaps and tries to create havoc. No, we want to play assignment football and let our speed and athleticism take over. And that's why we've been successful, you know, over the last couple of years. And so for us, if we can do that, but that means getting lined up. In order to stay in your gap on the defensive line, that means you got to get in your gap to start with and know where you're supposed to go. At linebacker, get the front set in the secondary, identify the eligible receivers, uh, know where Josh Downs is at all times because Coach Longo does a great job of moving him around and getting him the ball in space. And if we do that, I think we give ourselves a great chance. They're breaking in a new quarterback. Uh, the offensive line has some new starters. And so, again, we feel like we it's a great opportunity to to put pressure on those guys because they'll be playing their first college uh, meaningful snaps as well. So um, if we do what we're supposed to do or what we're capable of doing on that side of the ball, uh, I, I definitely think we can kind of neutralize an up-tempo, high-powered offense. Isaiah Lamb, 25 and a half tackles for loss, 19 sacks. I'm sure that he's going to get up a lot of attention. But I'm really fascinated with what you're going to do with B.J. Bowler. And I, I'm a but I ask you, do you expect him to travel with Josh Downs? Well, uh, we'll have a plan, right? Uh, you know, good thing for us, uh, we have a lot of speed in the secondary. You know, B.J. Bowler can fly, but his brother Kendall is just as fast. You know, Javon Morgan's a guy that can really, really run. Uh, Eric Smith uh, in the defensive backfield can really run. Courtney Cox, um, you know, believe it or not, we had eight guys uh, this summer time under 4-4 in a 40-yard dash. Wow. And I think five of those guys are in the defensive secondary. And so here in the state of Florida, that's what we're going to do. We're going to recruit speed. We may not be the longest team in the country. We may not be the biggest, uh, but we're going to be able to run with most people. And so for us, it's about being able to run with them, uh, but also being able to take on blocks on the perimeter. I think that's what they do a great job as well, because you look at the 100-plus catches you had last year, they weren't all 100 down the field throws. They were bubble screens. Uh, they were quick tosses. They were ways to get them on the perimeter immediately, and that's what they want to do. They want to take advantage of their size out wide, get those big, long receivers matched up and locked onto our defensive backs and allow Josh Downs to outrun the leverage. And so for us, it's about leveraging the ball, forcing everything back inside to our linebackers who can run as well, and just getting them down on the turf and doing what I tell the defense to do every week, and that's make them snap it again, which means don't give up big plays. One of the joys of me doing this job, Coach, is being able to identify individuals in a team sport. And I understand that your focus is on the team. But one of the reasons that I bring up BJ is we have this thing that the Jim Thorpe Award Select Committee has established called the Aeneas Williams Award, which is going to go to the top HBCU defensive back in the country. I put out a list of top five. BJ is on it. But more than that, what does it mean to you to know that a, you have the buck you can in award winner, which is something else entirely, right? The best defensive player in FCS is also named after a great defensive lineman at Grambling. But that we're introducing this new award for one of the greatest to ever do it, uh, a guy that walked on at Southern and came out as a pro football Hall of Famer. No, that's amazing. And, you know, again, I, I definitely appreciate uh, just 
again, the love uh, for HBCUs. And when you talk about the legacies that we have, you look at all the major awards in FCS football, many of them are named after black college football players. Jerry Rice Award, Walter Payton Award, Buck Buchanan Award, now the Aeneas Williams Award, uh, Coach of the Year's the Eddie Robinson Award. <laughs> you know, so the, the impact that we've had on the games, uh, respective to HBCUs, uh, is second to none. And so to have another award named after a great HBCU football player and Pro Football Hall of Famer, and then to have an individual who has a chance to win that award, we feel confident that Marquise Bell would have won it last year had the award been, been in existence last year. But again, BJ is a phenomenal young man, um, a guy that, you know, off the field is just as impressive, if not more. You know, just what he's done, what he does in the community. Uh, he's a member of Kappa Alpha Psi uh, fraternity. And, uh, you know, again, just everything that that you would want a young man to do to be in a program. He is that and more. And so, again, just excited about him and his future. And uh, I'm glad to have BJ Bowler on our side. Look at you over there giving the noob some love over here. I'm, don't make me throw up the hooks over here. We don't need to get into it. I just just know that I heard you when you said it and other people listening in here heard you when you said it. Now, Coach, I, I really think that that's one of the things that I love about FCS football in general. But the mark that HBCU programs have been able to make historically, I know that you and Coach Prime are very close. You talk a lot. It could be uh, a rivalry that is not friendly, but it's not. Y'all do things together. You help promote the sport together. You help promote each other's programs. What has it done for you to know that Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, Eddie George, and whatnot have joined you in this journey to make not just HBCU football better, but get it to a place to where we are competing with the best in college football. Some of that just means we have the same sort of linemen that they have, but getting there, getting there with facilities, getting there with recruiting. Yeah, I think it's critical that we are united front. Uh, I think that's one thing that that Coach Prime is is really really big on, and people don't necessarily believe see that all the time because they think he's a divisive guy. He really isn't, right? And the relationship that we have, I get to see him on a level that you know many people don't. You know, they see the sound bites, they see the videos, um, but I, I actually have a personal conversation with Prime. Like we pick the phone up, we call one another, we talk about these things, and, and his his goal is to make sure that together we build programs that can compete with anyone. You know, he played at Florida State, you know. So, again, many people say, oh, well, you didn't go to an HBCU, so what do you know about it? I played at Clemson, you know, so the same sentiment can be said. Eddie George played at Ohio State, you know. But, again, when you you, you can't really be a, a, a black person to me in their 40s or older and your parents didn't go to an HBCU or your relatives, or your neighbors, or your church members, because back then that's where they only could go, right? My, my mom really didn't have the opportunity to go – across the street to Florida State, right? She wanted to be at FAMU. All her siblings wanted to come to FAMU because it's a place where people of color can come and be celebrated, can have that that you know experience and that culture uh, that we don't get anywhere else in this country. And so, you know, again, to, to, to understand that, to know what it means to be an HBCU graduate, to, to be able to, to rub elbows with some of the best and brightest in the country, uh, we, have to, we have to pull together and, and, and advocate for our programs because if we don't, who will? Right. And so the voice that he has um, saying the things that, that really needed to be said a long time ago. And thankfully, he has a voice big enough and can reach far enough that people are listening. And, and I'm thankful for that, you know, regardless of the, 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 the way the message comes across or whatever. I listen to the message. And that's one thing I'm be really big on with my players. Don't necessarily listen to how I say it. Listen to what I say. And make sure that you understand that what I say has value and meaning in your life. And if you take your personal feelings out of it, 
you're really being powered by it. And I think that's what Coach Prime has done uh, for black college football. That's what he's done for football in general over the last couple of years. And um, we are rivals on the field, but, you know, that's three hours out of the year. You know, the other 364 days, uh, we're, we're, we're buddies, we're advocates, and we're, we're pulling for one another to be great. And uh, we both know a great Florida and m a great Jackson State does ways for HBCUs and, and the college football landscape. I appreciate you pointing out what the culture means to us uh, and for folks that did not get to go to HBCUs, one of the regrets they have in life, myself included in there. But it's also one of those things where I hear from, you call them PWIs, predominantly white institutions for the folks that don't know. Did you bring the band? And I'm going, you're going to play football. But what you're worried about is the marching 100. That's it. How do you deal with knowing, A, you don't get to see the marching 100 at halftime, but also that people are so enthusiastic about the culture once they get around it and you let them in? Well, again, you can't talk about HBCU culture without talking about a band, right? And, and we're blessed here to have the best band in the land in the March 100. You know, I grew up listening to the to the 100, watching the 100. Uh, so I'm all, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of Dr. Chipman in the March 100. And little little secret, um, my, my pregame speech, my, my halftime speech isn't nearly as long as my pregame speech. I go in, I give my quick coaching points, and I sneak out so I can watch the last minute or two of the halftime show because I know the 100 has something in store. But, uh, no, it's, it's again, it's all a part of the culture. It's all a part of the experience. And uh, when we play these guaranteed games, I mean, if the 100 ain't coming, like, people are upset that <laughs> just the football team is showing up. So, you know, if my ego is in the way, I feel some kind of way about it. But because I understand HBCU culture and how integrated we all are, you know, hey, you can't have one without the other. Hey, man, you got to compete with Southern Jukebox. You got to compete with the Human Jukebox. You got to mean you got to compete with the Sonic Boom of the South. There's a lot in there for HBCUs. But I also I want to get back to football for just for a second. I'm, I'm going to ask you what can be a divisive question depending on who I give it to. But who won the 2021 Black College Football National Championship? <laughs> Depends on who you ask. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, so here's, here's my answer to that, right? And I know it's controversial. Before the college football playoff, right, which started about six, seven years ago, mm -hmm. how was the, the FBS national championship uh, declared? By voting, right? They voted for who the national championship, who the national champs were. So you have co-champions all throughout the history of FBS football. Mm -hmm. But the moments at the FCS level, someone says that they're co-black college national champions, everyone's in an uproar. ESPN said that we were the number one team in black college football last year. Guess what that means? It means national champions. The Celebration Bowl is dubbed the HBCU National Championship. South Carolina State won it. They can claim national champions. Jackson State was number one in another poll. So to me, there are three national champions. It depends on who you ask. If you ask ESPN, it's Florida a &M. If you ask the Cricket Celebration Bowl, it's South Carolina State. If you ask whoever voted Jackson State number one, it's Jackson State. So I don't know why people get so upset when we claim we don't. I mean, we don't claim it. It's not us. Someone else said that we were national champs. We just we just publish it. Right. We publish what they say. And that's what it is. So uh, I don't know if there's a trophy that's involved. I don't know if somebody got the trophy. South Carolina State got the Celebration Bowl trophy. But to me, in my eyes, there were three national champions last year. And that's why we have a goal this year to leave no doubt that we are the undisputed national champion. And we want to do that on, on the football field. That's a very diplomatic answer and not one that I would have thought of myself, but that's why you are Coach Simmons at Florida A&M University, fam, you to those that know. Coach Simmons, Shotgun Simmons, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on the number one ranked show, sir. Uh, it's a pleasure to always uh, follow you, man. Enjoy what you do. Keep doing it, and I uh, look forward to hopefully seeing you on Saturday. Yes, sir.